News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110. If any of these topics tickle your fancy, you'd like to weigh in on them, feel free to call. You can also call 1-800-WBT-1110 or email me, Pete, at thepetecallendershow.com. Oh, and I'm also on Twitter, at Pete Callender. And I was thinking about getting off Twitter, but then Elon Musk came in, and I'm like, all right, I'm back. I'm going to stay. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm too addicted. I couldn't. Uh, I wasn't probably going anywhere. I, but I have profiles on all of the social media sites, except TikTok, because that's Chinese psyops. Anyway, um, talking about uh, this dynamic that's occurring uh, in not just North Carolina's fourth congressional district primary race between a far left candidate and a not so or not as far left candidate. And this is, uh, again, don't call it a civil war. That only happens inside the Republican Party. But this is the same sort of dynamic that occurs in the GOP where uh, you've got, you know, uh, uh, MAGA uh, supporters. Or I, mean, I, I use that term. A lot of Republicans voted for Donald Trump, but they may not be like the MAGA wing sort of grassroots or Tea Party group is another uh, way people describe them. And then there's like the GOP establishment or the, the principles first crowd or something. Right. Uh, or uh, what is, uh, oh, we called them the other day, uh, the uh, fight club conservatives, right? That's the sort of the, the, the Donald Trump crowd versus the, the principles crowd where like, no, no, our principles are, you know, go slowly, don't upend things and don't adopt the tactics of the left and that sort of thing. So we've talked about this on the Republican side, but on the Democrat side, you have a similar dynamic where the left is dragging their party further away from most voters. So what happens is winnable seats, particularly in a state like North Carolina, winnable seats won't get won by the Democrat candidate because they've had to tack so far to the left. Sherry Beasley is a pretty good example of this as well, right? Because here, I mean, she's a judge and She's had to, you know, weigh in on the defund the police stuff. You've got sheriffs that are running here in Mecklenburg County, which, by the way, 630 tonight. Remember, tune in. Sheriff's debate hosted by the FOP and moderated by Brett Jensen here. Uh, 630 commercial free for an hour and a half. All three of the Democrat candidates will be uh, participating. And whoever wins that primary is going to win. But think about the, the, the craziness of that. Right. You've got. You've got Democrat law enforcement leadership, and they're being uh, elected in primaries where you have a not small portion of their electorate, their base, is calling for them to be defunded. It gets kind of awkward. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get kind of awkward. So this is the, uh, the issue that's confronting the Democrats, and I brought to you the piece by Thomas Mills the other day. I got this email or sorry, a uh, tweet from uh, Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus up in the mountains. And he says the same dynamic is taking shape in North Carolina District 11. The Asheville electorate controls the Democrat primary and Jasmine Beach Ferrara is going to get the nomination. And then she's not going to play well outside of Buncombe County. Then when she loses, they'll just blame the voters outside Asheville for being, you know, whatever label they choose to toss at us. And Tim is exactly right. Jasmine Beach Ferrara was the head of the Campaign for Southern Equality. She's uh, a uh, she's a lesbian minister and a county commissioner from District 2, I believe. And that's it. 
That, like, that's it. She doesn't have, she's running for a congressional seat. She only got elected to a, a district race in a district that is dominated by Asheville, which is very, 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 very blue. To think that she's going to have appeal outside of the blue dot in the sea of red, because that's what Asheville is, blue dot, sea of red, um, you guys are nuts. This is the thing. They, they kept screaming. The only reason Madison Cawthorn won or Mark Meadows won was because of gerrymandering. No. Sorry. The only way a Democrat could win a district out in the western part of the state is to either be a former Redskins court. Oh, sorry. A former Washington football club quarterback that was from Swain County, Heath Schuler, right? Unless you could be Heath Schuler. And even then, when Heath Schuler's chief of staff tried to run against Meadows in 2012, he lost. And he was from Swain County. He was from there. His whole campaign theme was, you're not going to out-mountain this mountain man. That's what that's what he pitched himself as. And he still lost to Mark Meadows, local business guy, but actually came from Florida. That's how Republican the district is. The only way you're going to get somebody like Jasmine Beach Ferrara, this really left-wing uh, Democrat who's uh, leading in the Democrat primary out there, the only, the only way you're going to get her to win a general election is if you were to gerrymander and include, I don't know, App State. You would have to gerrymander that district to run all the way to Boone in order to get her elected. Which, by the way, a lot of Democrats were interested in doing. Yeah, they would have maps that would... We talked about this. When they... When they rolled out their maps and their maps showed a gerrymander that included Asheville all the way to, to Boone in order to pick up UNC Asheville, Asheville, Warren Wilson College, which is like the leftiest of the left. And then you've got the uh, Boone uh, app state up there to get all of those college kids and Asheville City proper, get all of that in there. And that could be our little district. I mean, yes, yes, it doesn't have the required population size. It's going to be way too small, but I mean, I think we deserve it because, you know, we're better than you because we're progressives. All right. So there was this piece at Compact Magazine. CompactMag.com is the website. Saurab Armari, who I believe to be of the left, but I'm not sure. But he kind of it kind of comes through. Anyway, he just eviscerates Jacobin Magazine. The theme is called the theme of the latest edition of Jacobin is the left in purgatory. This is a socialist publication, by the way. Okay, the Jacobins, socialists. Um, the issue is devoted to figuring out why leftists are undergoing a process of de-alignment from the workers they speak for. To anybody willing to look out the window and honestly describe what he sees, the answer is obvious. Aggressive cultural liberalism doesn't answer but exacerbates the crises facing wage earners. So the blue-collar folks are getting kind of turned off by your cultural liberalism. That's what I mean by Amari is of the left, because he doesn't call this stuff for what it is. He calls it cultural liberalism when it's actually not liberal at all, at least in the classic sense. So uh, leftists' boutique identitarian concerns don't concern the underclass, and the culture clashes between the two camps reflect material conflicts. Material as in important, not, you know, tangible commodities. So important conflicts. This is the clash. This is what is driving 
the wedge between the working class that the socialists are like, they should be with us. Why aren't they with us? Meanwhile, if you're white, you're a racist. And they don't understand why they are de-aligning with the working class. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Don't call it a civil war. It was only occur inside the GOP. But Jacobin Magazine, socialist publication, did a big edition focused on the left in purgatory. And uh, which makes sense, um, I guess, because if you met people of the left, chances are, yeah, that's that's where they're headed. I'm, kid- I'm kidding. Look, I'm, it's just a joke, people. Come on. Lighten up. Have, have a sense of humor. All right. So uh, the article has all these, or the edition has all of these different essays written by all of these different socialists and leftists. And they're all like, what is going on? Why don't the white working class, well, why don't the working class and whites and blacks and Hispanics, but generally the blue collar workers of all races, why aren't they with us on all of this stuff? What's going on? Why are our electoral chances in the toilet? The publisher, Bhaskar Sankara, warned, quote, It is increasingly hard to argue that the fault for the left's predicament lies with everybody else but ourselves. Uh, Saurabh Armari, writing at Compact Magazine, he says, This acknowledgement of reality, when it happens... It happens in the most elliptical, cryptic fashion possible. It's like pulling teeth. But that is what's going on, right? Because what does the publisher say? It's increasingly hard to argue that the fault for the predicament lies with everyone else but ourselves. That's a really, it's a really obtuse way to say it's our fault. This is our doing. We leftists, we Jacobins, we socialists, we communists, the most radical left cultural leftist groups we are to blame for what's going on inside the democratic party we may have gone too far <laughs> that's what they're saying in an, uh, an interview with david shore the obama data whiz who has been war- uh, warning democrats of a looming electoral disaster is instructive he says working class people aren't reactionaries but they are much more moderate on social issues so in other words They're not reactionaries like those crazy right-wing fascist Republicans. But they are more moderate. And by more moderate, uh, he means they agree with the Republican position on things. By the way, I'm fascinated to watch what's going on with this whole free speech thing, getting tied to a Republican position or, or plank in the platform. Democrats just don't seem interested in arguing for free speech like watching the whole Twitter fight going on where they're taking an overt anti-free speech position. And the Republicans are like, okay, don't mind if I do. Working class people aren't reactionaries, but they are much more moderate on social issues, says David Shore. The moderate position is framed as reactionary by the Jacobin left. This alienates lots of ordinary Americans, and Europeans for that matter. Shore knows this, so does the publisher, uh, Sankara, but they have to break the news to readers gently. 
very, very gently. I mean, these are leftists, after all, and they get they get very sensitive. They need safe spaces and cry closets, after all. The squad has failed to fill the vacuum left by Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign because its members' obsession with race, sexuality, and gender is insufficiently universal. And it doesn't garner support beyond downwardly mobile professionals in blue cities. There's an essay in this Jacobin magazine by Lauren Balhorn, and she talks about uh, the decline of Germany's lefty party and uh, says it's a, a it's a parallel case study from across the Atlantic. And the party is tumbling in the polls after a meteoric rise about 20 years ago. Why? Well, you see, the old school leftist cadres, they're all dying off, she says, and taking their place are younger ones more interested in... Climate issues, open borders, and neo-electroclash bans. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. It, I mean, it's Germany. Then there was an essay by a guy named Chris Maisano, which also tries to address the same education polarizing problem identified by Shore, that the young left is highly educated and culturally ultra-liberal. The working class it seeks to mobilize, though, is neither of those things. A number of leftist writers, including some associated with Jacobin, have actually attacked Compact's founding, Compact Magazine, from which I am reading right here. So this guy who is writing, he's one of, he is the founder of Compact and editor of Compact, and his name is Saurabh Armari, Amari, rather. And, um, and so he's got maybe a little bit of a personal axe to grind against Jacobin, because a lot of the writers associated with Jacobin attacked Compact, because Compact issued a statement when it was founded and it said it would treat cultural liberalism as an obstacle rather than a natural complement to a social democratic political economy. See, so they want a social democratic, you know, social Democrats. They, they want, they want much the same thing, but they only want the economic side of it. They're not interested in engaging in the cultural liberalism or the identity politics. That's what they, they don't want any part of that. They're like, look, look, can't we all just be socialists together from an economic standpoint? This is the problem with critical race theory and Kimberly Crenshaw coming out of that school of thinking, creating this whole intersectionality uh, uh, philosophy, which has now infected everything on the left because everything is intersectional. And at some point, maybe, fingers crossed, at some point, maybe folks on the left will wake up and realize that the smallest minority is the minority of one, the individual. It's you. Only you intersect at all these different points. You have commonality, similarities with other people in various other ways, many different ways. That's all intersectionality. That's called being an individual. Let's protect that. Let's focus on that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Madison County. Oh, I thought, yeah. You thought I was going to say Cawthorn, didn't you? No, Madison County. Madison County, where all the bridges are. Famous movie. Spoiler alert on that one. Uh, I've been to Madison County a bunch of times, and I, I don't remember there being like a lot of bridges. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are bridges. Okay, down a rabbit hole. I'm coming back out. All right, Madison County. 
Brian Gordon uh, from uh, the Asheville Citizen Times did a story uh, taking a look at Madison County because it's one of North Carolina's uh, least populated, sparsely populated. It's got 22,000 people, but the county is 450 square miles. It's between Asheville and the Tennessee border. The county seat of Madison County is Marshall. Not from the movie, We Are Marshall. Not that. It's just the town of Marshall. And um, they got a college town, Mars Hill. So in 2016, Trump carried Madison County by 25 points. Four years later, voters picked Trump again, also favoring other Republican candidates like Tom Tillis and Madison Cawthorn by double digits. But... In local government, and this is the focus of the article, things are different at the local level. It's not that Madison County elects some Democrats to countywide seats. It's that Madison County elects almost all Democrats, and it's been that way for a while. Madison County's got a Democratic Board of Commissioners, board of Edu- uh, all-Democrat Board of Education, the sheriff, the register of deeds, clerk of superior court, all Democrats, apart from two county commissioners— no Republican holds countywide partisan office. Okay? Yet the county always goes for Republicans at the federal level, state levels, right? This is one of the things I keep trying to tell people, uh, the ticket splitting in North Carolina. It's, it's not as prevalent as it used to be, but it still does occur. And it, you can see it in, like, for example, the difference between Trump's victory at the federal level, and Roy Cooper's victory as governor. At a time when politics is increasingly polarized, national and tribal, a handful of conservative rural North Carolina counties continue to elect mostly Democrats to local seats. It's a remnant of 20th century Southern politics, and local officials say it's a testament to how personal connections in small communities can transcend party labels. I have been saying this, I've been talking about this for years. With each election, though, the once high number of red counties with blue leaders grows smaller. Okay, red counties with blue local leaders. The number of blue counties with red leaders, though, it's already near non-existent, which, by the way, that is not a story. Okay, it's totally not a story that blue counties go blue through and through, top to bottom, right? Not a story at all. But it's a story when you've got a red county that elects some blue leadership. Since 2000, by the way, this goes, this actually correlates to a belief I have that tis far better to be a lefty in a jurisdiction run by Republicans than to be a Republican in a jurisdiction run by lefties. Seriously. I, people who are of the right always feel like they can never, not always, but usually feel like they can never talk about politics, engage in politics, don't just don't do anything. Their personal view, they got to keep it all hidden when they're in a liberal stronghold. You put a lefty into a Republican stronghold and they can fly their freak flag all over the place and like it doesn't stop them. Generally speaking, truth is general though, since 2000, about two dozen county commissioners' boards in rural North Carolina have actually flipped from majority Democrat to majority Republican. So 20 years, 
two dozen. So about one a year we are seeing boards flipping um, as voters politically align their local and top of ballot selections. The trend shows no sign of stopping. Some county residents admit it's gotten harder to divorce candidates from party. I found that line to be ironic because we have more unaffiliated voters now in North Carolina than we have Republicans and Democrats. They're the number one by registration group. Unaffiliated, my group. I'm finally a majority. (laughs) That's never happened. Um, So... Unaffiliated outnumber Democrats and outnumber Republicans. They've outnumbered Republicans for a long time. And even while we see people registering unaffiliated, it's harder to divorce the local from the national politics. So it's becoming almost more important. He then goes into some bit of history, which for folks in the Charlotte area, probably not aware of this this background, which is why I always try to bring this up. Folks out in the western part of the state know this history. The Ponder Machine, named after two brothers. Ponder. Zeno and E-Y. E period Y period. I, I, I don't have a speech impediment. I can't pronounce L's. I'm not saying Eli Ponder. I'm saying E-Y Ponder and Zeno Ponder. All right, so the term Yellow Dog Democrat sprang up in the 1800s to describe the Democratic Party's utter dominance in the American South. It was suggested that Southern voters would even elect a yellow dog, so long as that canine ran as a Democrat. It's almost impossible to overstate how much the Democratic Party controlled the South, said Chris Cooper, political science professor at Western Carolina. It was a one-party Democratic South. The only question was, who would come out of the Democratic Party? Democrats represented the region's segregationist white power structure after Reconstruction and engendered more goodwill during the Great Depression when Franklin Roosevelt implemented popular New Deal projects across the South. From 1876 to 1964, so almost 100 years, North Carolina voted for one Republican presidential candidate. One. One U.S. Senator, and one governor. Over a hundred years. The state government was just as unwaveringly Democratic. In 1955, the state Senate has 50 seats. You know how many seats Republicans held? One. A 49 to 1 Democrat majority. Such staunch Democratic control was maintained by local political machines. In Madison County, the Democratic machine was notoriously run by a man named Zeno Ponder, who chaired the county elections board and oversaw voting precincts with a 38 revolver. When Ponder ran for state Senate in 1964, he was accused of stuffing ballots. The reason? He literally got more votes from Madison County than there were registered voters. That's a sure sign ballot stuffing is occurring. The state threw out the rigged results. Zeno's more mild-mannered older brother, E.Y. Ponder, was elected Madison County Sheriff in 1950, held that position for 32 years. Yeah, Jacob Ray, he's the new uh, 27-year-old director of Madison County Board of Elections. He says if, if you were interested in a position with the government, you had to go to talk to the Ponders. The sheriff ruled the county said Matthew Wechtel, a Republican commissioner in Madison. He said you could not get a county job. You could not get a state job. You basically couldn't get an actual regular job in the county outside of self-employment 
unless you went through the sheriff. And with the sheriff being a Democrat, most residents were inclined to be Democrats, too. See, that's how things operated up until about 50 years ago. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the sun, too. Oh, this is the cycle. This is how it starts. If you are new to Charlotte or the the area, first off, welcome. Uh, Secondly, uh, please don't bring whatever lefty politics you fled here. Uh, And then third, this is the normal thing that happens. We get really, it gets hot and then it gets all so hot and then bam, thunderstorm. And then, well, then it stays hot and then it gets humid on top of the heat. And so, yeah, that kind of stinks. But that's the normal cycle. And then it just kind of gets into this cycle where the more it rains and then the, the more humid it gets and then the more humid it gets, the more it rains and it's just this cycle. Or it goes the other direction and you end up in a drought and you're like collecting bath water to pour on your garden. Anyway, I'm just giving you a heads up if you're new to town. Um, back to this piece at the Citizen Times, which uh, it's a very lengthy piece, but I appreciate the fact that Brian Gordon wrote it um, and gave this history lesson about machine politics in this state. Because the other day we had a caller uh, who asked, uh, and it, it, uh, I think his name was Jack, and he asked, you know, why is Cooper so popular? And, of course, it was, uh, it was a bad faith question. He was asking, he was trying to trap me uh, to get me to, I, I don't know, admit that Cooper is way better than I think he is or something. I don't know. Uh, but Cooper, the, the fact that Roy Cooper was able to win is actually a testament to the power of the machine that the Democrats built and maintained for over a century to the point where even after the wheels fall off of the machine and it rolls into the ditch, flips over, catches fire, people flee it, it still is able to muster enough votes to win statewide governor's races. That's a powerful machine. When, and, and when you hear about Madison County, that's just Madison County. There are a hundred counties in this state. And when we say the state was controlled by Democrats, think about the machine that would be in place in so many of these counties to make that happen. There's also the money laundering aspect here. I mean, I don't mean illegally or well, I shouldn't say I, I don't mean charged. I don't mean indicted. But the scheme is the same, which is you're going to put people in office who are then going to give you money who are then going to come to the office uh, where you work in state government or county government, and then they're going to take up a collection for said politician that gave you the pay raises or gave you the job. So there was always a little bit built in to the pay scales for, you know, you got to give the money. You always have to give money to these campaigns. If you don't give money to the campaign, you better be out there organizing people to vote in mobs, right? giving them cigarettes and alcohol or something to go get them to the polls and uh, and get them to vote for the machine. But that's that's the power of the Democrat Party machine and has been. So I understand it's in fashion right now and has been since 2011 to look at the Democratic Party in North Carolina as sort of the underdogs, the scrappy, oppressed underdogs that are going to take down those mean old Republicans in power. I get it. But... 
they're not the underdogs. They, they're, they still are not the underdogs. Even though I mean, they had to have so much corruption come to light. They had people go to federal prison. Many people go to federal prison. That's what had to happen. They had to essentially blow billion, not essentially, they had to blow billion dollar budget gaps. They had to, uh, they had to owe the federal government billions more. They had to withhold people's re- uh, uh, tax refunds. They had to freeze teacher pay, fire a bunch of other, sorry, furlough, a bunch of other uh, teachers. This, these are the things that they did in rapid succession that finally got people to say, you know what, okay, let, let's, let's hit the pause button on this thing. All right, let's just, let's take a breather. And then, of course, back to the uh, newspaper article here in the, Citizen, the Asheville Citizen Times by Brian Gordon. He then goes and says that the turning point for the region, historians agree, came. they actually don't, but came in 1964 when Democratic President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. This is the left's big lie. That, that Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act with the support of Republicans in Congress, and that's what turned all the racists over to the Republican Party. That's what, there is no mention, he then, ex, he then explains, uh, he has quotes here from people who uh, corroborate this narrative, Chris Cooper being one of them, but Sean Trend's work, Sean Trend from Real Clear Politics, he's done numerous articles, he wrote a book about this, the shift was occurring and occurred for decades, it was a long-term shift, and it was mainly based on economics, it wasn't race, but... It's the thing that Blue and On tells themselves in order to feel superior, so I'll move on. Lamenting the increasing influence of national issues on local races, a greater number of Madison County Republicans are challenging Democratic seats. In addition to commissioner candidates, two Republicans are now registered for the sheriff's race, six are vying for sports on, uh, spots on uh, local school board, and they are the first Republican school board candidates since the district switched to partisan elections about six years ago. Not even that they, not that they're winning, but they're the first Republicans to even run. That's how Democrat Madison County has been voting. There are people in Western North Carolina that are registered Democrats because their parents were Democrats, their grandparents were Democrats. It's just what everybody is. But when it comes to voting in the national and uh, the federal races, I should say, like U.S. Senate, Congress, President, they vote Republican. Whether it happens this fall or this decade, political momentum suggests local governments in places like Madison and Swain County will eventually go red. And if they do, the state will lose both a vestige of its past and something increasingly unique. Oh, no. See, lamenting the loss of this uniqueness. Winterbull's up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.